Hey guys, I just want to make a quick apology. Uh, there's not going to be a new episode this week. Unfortunately, the episode I was working on, I had some, uh, some technical difficulties with, and my wife and I are in the process of moving. So as you can imagine, things have been a little hectic around the Morris household. So I thought it'd be kind of fun to do a little throwback and, um, we will be back next week with a brand new episode with Mr. J.R. Weaver. He is the author of Addiction Manifesto and the creator of the Recovery Revolution Facebook page, where you can find the new-ish broadcast Recovery Revolution live. It's going to be live on Monday nights for the rest of the month of January. We'll be moving to Thursday nights in February at 7 p.m. Central, so hope you guys will join us there. And without further ado, here is episode two of Recovery Survey. I'm joined today by Australian Luke Cole. He offers coaching and alcohol-free life. You can find him at lukecole.com.au or on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at Hey Luke Cole. Thanks for joining us, Luke. I was um, look at, very much looking at uh, trying to jump on and, and do something like this because, you know, I'm not sure if you've uh, jumped on any of my socials or anything, but, you know, I'm coming into just over a year and eight months now in sobriety. And in that time, <laughs> everything for me has shifted. And, you know, I really feel like it's beginning to sort of, you know, all the conversations that I've been having lately, I felt like this is kind of, you know, I went through all of that, you know, 10 years of struggling with, you know, alcoholism. And I really feel like it's given me a sense of purpose to be able to help inspire people and actually, you know, bring them to that place that I did and, you know, to be able to welcome the perspective shifts to actually come into a place of sobriety for themselves because a lot of people out there are very much caught and you know for me for a long time I didn't know how to get out of it and it was only when the concept of my own mortality started coming into play that I realized that something needed to happen and you know what needed to happen was uh, you know it all had to begin within myself and you know if I can give that gift to anyone it would give me you know a great sense of fulfillment in this uh, in this crazy world that we live in. That's part of the reason that I wanted to start this podcast was just to have a way to try to spread that message like you're talking about, like let people know that that there's another way to do it, that you don't have to drink or get high every day to to deal with life. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it, it's almost empowering when you can get rid of those crutches that you've relied on for so long and come into that place of having a clear mind and you know where your decision making isn't uh sort of filtered through the lens of you know an inebriated mind cool so where do you want to start with this one so i see the the topics we have uh sort of honesty open-mindedness and willingness first i do want to talk about honesty honesty for me very much translates into transparency and for me, I've found transparency in all aspects of my life have really freed me from a lot of anxiety and, and stress. I feel like a lot, you know, and I, I was one of those people that, you know, I had a lot of character faults, but it took me a while to actually begin to 
accept them as as part of me and to be able to express that with no judgment on myself so for me it was you know i i for a long time i was stuck in the narrative of my past you know past traumatic experiences and with that I, I would always play the blame game. This is why I drink and, and, and this is why I'm broken, essentially. And it, it took me a long time to actually absorb that within myself for what it really was. And I guess it was just an excuse, an excuse to continue to play out that same story, that pain story, that painful narrative. And when I came into sobriety, I realized that you know, I had to accept that and that had to, I had to accept that, yes, hey, for a long time, I have had this struggle, this waging war within myself, you know, the duality of mind fighting against each other. And it all just at the end was ego, the person that I had created to deal with this trauma. Uh, the, the person that I created to navigate certain social situations, the the person that I created to get me through, uh, get me through life, whether it be my working experiences, you know, my, my, you know, my job and the people I'd interact with there. And when I began just expressing complete honesty and complete transparency and with complete acceptance of my faults of character, it was like, I finally got to take the mask off. That was very, very freeing. I've found the more I can show people that quirky kind of weird side of me that, and the more I can express to people that, hey, yes, look, I struggled. You know, I struggled with this. I've struggled with that. And, you know, I've found, I found it to be very freeing and uh, I guess you could say liberating. But with complete transparency, I feel like a lot of the anxiety from your life just melts away. But when you take off that mask and accept yourself for who you really are, it allows other people to actually accept you for who you are. See, I've had conversations with some people who, are, you know, one, one person in particular, uh, a bloke that I was working with for a while there. And so this is the hospitality industry and it's a very, very cutthroat industry, uh, especially when you're working in kitchens and a lot of people do, they create this almost caricature of themselves uh, to actually get them, get them through those very, you know, cutthroat situations. And I guess if, Anyone that knows that's worked in a kitchen, it is very much sink or swim. Unfortunately, this is causes people, and this is, you know, relatable to a lot of different industries, a lot of different situations. This causes people to put on a mask. This causes people to really create this version of themselves that isn't really them. And this is something that, that I did. Um, and especially, you know, someone that, you know, coming from a place of, of social anxiety and, and not really knowing how to interact with people naturally. It can be very harmful playing out that, those same scenarios for years consecutively. And so this 
person that I was working with, I could tell, you know, he, he's very much stuck in that rampant alcoholism as it does come with the industry. And we sat down and I came at him with complete transparency of where, where I was coming from uh, and the things that I had struggled with. You know, this is, this is someone that very much plays this hugely confident type person, but I could tell deep down that they were just hurting. And that's why they were back at the bottle after work, during work uh, even. And when we sat down and had a conversation and I offered him complete transparency of myself and I made observations about where he was at in his life, he literally came back and just and was just like, stop reading my mind. What are you doing? <laughs> you know, And you've never been able to have a conversation like this with another male, have you? And he looked at me and sincerely just said, no. And at that point, we shared a, a cuddle and embrace, you know, a big warm hug. And I felt like for the first time in his life, he actually felt like he could take that mask off. He could break down that wall and for the first time he had someone that he could really be himself around um, and show those insecurities and, and show those character faults without the uh, filter of the ego. And that for me was a very sort of defining point that when we can be honest with ourself and completely transparent with ourself and then be able to express that with other people, it can be such a magical moment where, you know, for like, like I said, for the first time in, in his life, he, he felt, you know, he was offered complete sincerity and was able to express that back. These are the healthiest engagements that we can have. You know, this brings us to a place where we can actually lift each other up and break down those insecurities and really actually get to the core of where these underlying problems or issues you could say are coming from. And so with transparency and with honesty with ourselves, with all the people around us, I feel like we can really begin to break down those walls of the ego has constructed for us or, or that we've put up um, by wearing masks uh, in, our, in our lives, in, in, in the different areas of our lives. I know myself for a long time, I was putting on different masks for different people, for different situations, for different jobs. And at the end, it just became so exhausting. And I guess this is what, you know, after a, a, a day of wearing this mask for a job or, or for, you know, someone that you might be spending a lot of time with, whether it's a partner or a friend, and not actually being yourself, you get home at the end of the day and you are just, your mind is exhausted. You don't know who you are. You don't know what you're doing. And the easiest thing to do is grab a bottle, have a drink and forget about it. And for me, for a long time, that was, that was the narrative that I was playing until I was able to begin to make some shifts in my way of thinking, I wasn't able to offer that to anyone. I wasn't able to offer that to myself at all. I guess this is where we come into the concept of open-mindedness. 
And that is being able to welcome alternating perspectives without judgment, without attachment uh, to any certain idea or, or belief system or idea of yourself and who, who you might think you are. I've realized in sobriety that as much as we are all individual and we're all unique, people in a sense are very much the same. When you start to understand the range of, of personality types and you begin to understand the, the different the different ideologies that people really just identify with. It makes in interacting with people, I guess, a little easier, you know, because we aren't that different at, at the core of things. We all just want to be happy, but it's where we draw our happiness from. And so for me, the, the biggest shift that happened to actually come into a place of sobriety was that I had to break down my myself and begin to actually welcome new ideas i had to welcome new perspectives into my life if that shift in thinking didn't occur then i would still be drinking for me it was it was the concept of my own mortality and this was after a i guess a few incidents which led me into hospital, you know, incidents that happened whilst intoxicated. I was forced into six months of essentially bed rest where I was one armed and, and one legged, one legged for quite some time. And being able to just sit for those extended periods of time in, I couldn't, I couldn't go out. I couldn't party as such. I couldn't, continue to play those same destructive sort of events that were just leading to traumatic experiences for myself and for the people around me, the people that cared for me. It was then when I was able to actually look inwards. And if I didn't turn the lens inwards, I wouldn't have been able to actually do the much needed self analysis to begin to change those perspectives. Or not, not so much change, but like I said, welcome, welcome new perspectives, welcome new ideas about myself. One of the first things that happened was I knew I had to get rid of the I can'ts from my life. A big change for that coming back to open-mindedness was that I can and realizing that myself and a lot of people around me I just stuck, stuck in this mindset of scarce thinking. When I realized that there truly is an abundance of happiness and opportunity to be had in this big, strange world, it gave me a sense of motivation. And it was motivation coming from a pure place as opposed to being motivated for materialistic things and just wanting a bigger paycheck which unfortunately is very much the structure of our society with social media and everyone comparing themselves to others. When we can begin to look inwards in a place of deep reflection, we realize that those things aren't really going to make us happy. 
those things aren't really going to bring us to a place of fulfillment. We really have to begin to define our needs from our wants. Even when speaking, you know, a lot of people say, I, I need this thing, or I need a new pair of shoes, or I, I, I need to get their new iPhone. <laughs> um, where at the core of that, like those things might be great, those things might, uh, might, might serve you well, but it's serving from a place of ego. At the core, human beings all have a need to feel fulfilled and things don't fill that hole. I believe that service to others, creativity, passionate projects coming from a place of purpose, I believe those things are what every human being needs. When we begin to actually define our needs from our wants, we find that all of those materialistic things are just wants. If we come back to the things that we really need and begin to define that within ourself, then that will give us motivation in the right direction. And I guess this is where we can come into willingness, what that really means to ourself and especially people that are trying to get sober. What are we willing to sacrifice for sobriety? For me, that was sacrificing the parties. That was sacrificing the nightclubs. You know, all those things were just, you know, the party lifestyle. That was just a want. It was just a want coming from a place of ego that was this fantasy lifestyle that I'd created when I was in my later teens, which I got to see glimmers of. And I've got to see a lot of glamour that I was fantasizing about for so long. Coming into sobriety, I've realized that none of that was glamorous. The, the drugs and the alcohol and the, the money, and it wasn't glamorous. It was messy. It was just messy. And so sacrificing those things, those events, yeah, maybe, you know, for me, uh, it was, I spoke to someone recently and they said, look, I've got, uh, it, was a, it was a hen's night that was coming up. And, you know, they'd, they'd been sober for maybe two or three weeks and their best friend's hen's night was coming up and they were getting super anxious and, and super scared about it, saying, oh, look, you know, I don't want to go there, but I don't want to miss out. It's been planned for months. But essentially, these were plans that you did make whilst you were still drinking regularly and, and possibly plans that you made whilst drunk. You know, this is, I guess, the perfect example of a sacrifice. Being a year and eight months sober, I haven't stepped foot in a pub or club. I've missed out on a lot of friends' birthdays. I've just simply had to say no. And this comes back to, uh, I'm sure a lot of people have heard this one, if you hang around the barber's shop for long enough, you're going to get a haircut. And there is so much truth to that saying. You know, if you put yourself in these environments of temptation and these environments where you could be seduced by your old ways of thinking and your old habits, then 
it's going to, to be a dangerous environment and make those sacrifices. You can wish people well without having to share a glass of wine with them. You can wish them well without having to pass out and, and wake up and forget the fact that you wish them well. Making those sacrifices is important because going back to that saying, if we continue to hang out at bars and pubs and we continue to hang out with those people that are still drinking all the time, then that temptation is always going to be there. And I'm not saying like we have to recluse and, and become a hermit. Uh, even though that was uh, what I kind of did for the first six to 12 months of my sobriety. I was lucky enough to be living in a rural town that was three hours away from where all my friends and family lived. And I didn't have that opportunity to go to these parties and go to these birthdays and be at these events where I would be tempted. It can be liberating to just say no, to just say, look, I'm not willing to put myself in a situation where I could fall back. And until you begin to build that emotional resilience, which does come week after week in sobriety, every month, every few months, it's just that resilience gets more powerful within yourself. And it's not to say that the temptation isn't there, but I'm at a point now where I'm in a relationship with someone and there is a bottle of wine in the fridge, which has been there for a couple of months, which my partner has only just um, had one glass out of. And she, of course, she respects the fact that I'm in recovery. And she does ask, like, would you mind if I had a glass? And of course, like, she isn't the type of person that's drinking all the time. For me to be able to sit there now after a year and eight months of sobriety, and watch someone have a glass of wine and not be tempted by the smell and not be tempted by the vision of that wine glass going up to her lips. It's a um, testimony to that mental and emotional resilience, which of course, day one, week one, or month one, what wouldn't have been there? You know, I would have most likely crumbled and, um, sculled half the bottle to myself. It does get easier. And this is an important um, lesson for people that are trying to get sober or are trying to kick the habit and do feel like they are just stuck, that it does get easier. And you don't have to shy away from social events and, and, and things of that nature for the rest of your life. It's not like Everything has to has to change, you know, a lot does, but you can still in time enjoy certain things and be have that resilience to be able to refrain from actually engaging in those parts of it, the, the actual drinking side of things. You know, for me, I've... Um, <laughs> I've never been to uh, to a music festival. Twenty eight, <laughs> you know, for me, I, I would I would very much love to be able to go and, and you know I'm a very musically oriented person, and I would love to go and just be 
seduced by the music and you know completely enveloped in some amazing um music of of maybe my favorite DJs or whatever it might be and not actually engage in the drugs and the alcohol which is very much a big part of the the music industry in some respects but now you know after a year and eight months i know that that might not be the best place for me to be you know i am still optimistic that in time my emotional and mental resilience will continue to build and that one day in the next year or couple of years i would be able to just go to this place and just dance and just enjoy the music for what it is without having to have that that filter or that lens of the drugs and the alcohol involved and not actually be tempted by the hundreds if not thousands of people around me which would be in that altered state mental and emotional clarity can be a really really beautiful thing and i think the more we experience that the more our minds do begin to open up and the more we do begin to actually enjoy the raw nature of life for me it's been a beautiful journey so far i'm just confident at this point with the tools that i have uh, and which these are only tools that started uh, i started being able to equip myself with after that first day of sobriety i do believe that i will be able to come into a place where i can interact with every part of society without the temptation and one of the gifts of recovery so to speak the clear mind the clear head and the emotional resilience Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Luke, for coming on and sharing part of your story with us. Once again, you can find him at lukecole.com.au or on social media at HeyLukeCole. Thanks again for listening to Recovery Survey. If you enjoyed the episode, please consider leaving us a rating or a review, and please be sure to tell your friends about us. If you'd like to get in contact with us, we have a brand new website. It's recoverysurvey.com. Until next time, I've been your host, Brett. Thanks for listening.